Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bigger Insights Privacy and Security Podcast, where we'll help you live a more private and secure life. In this episode, we're going to explain to you how insecure email is and why you should stop using it for sensitive communications or transmitting sensitive files. I've spent years of my life red-pilling myself on privacy and security matters. That certainly has its benefits, but one of the downsides is, at times, I start to lose touch with the beliefs and misconceptions of those who have yet to be red-pilled as well. One of those things which really stands out to me is email security, or lack thereof. My motivation for making this episode is that I've gotten into many arguments with people and organizations over the last several years who still think it's a good idea to email sensitive data. I'm not just talking about friends and family. I'm talking about lawyers, accountants, and other professionals who have some of your most sensitive data, yet they seem to have no clue as to how dangerous it can be to send this data through email. Early on in my privacy and security journey, one of the things that I found most shocking was how insecure our communications protocols actually are. Fax, unencrypted. Voice calls, unencrypted. SMS, unencrypted. Email can be encrypted, but sometimes it's not, and we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail later in this episode. I was so shocked to learn these things that I was almost in denial about it because encryption has been around literally for millennia. How could these protocols, which we rely so heavily on, be so incredibly insecure? This just didn't make any sense to me. You know, when you're staring at your phone, you don't see what's going on beneath the user interface. You don't see what data is being collected and who gets access to that. When you send an email, you look in the interface and you see two parties, you and the recipient. No one's looking over your shoulder. No one's watching you type your message. So you must be safe, right? These things give us a false sense of security. If you're very young, Privacy and security may come somewhat naturally to you because things like data breaches and scandals are pretty much the norm now. But from our experience, people in their 30s and beyond are having a really difficult time, like I did, seeing and accepting how insecure and vulnerable their sensitive communications and data really are. I think the reason for that is because If you grew up before the internet was as ingrained in everyday life as it is today, you're just not used to relying on objects, systems, and organizations that are actively surveilling you and pursuing interests that are opposing to yours. When you watched TV, it wasn't reporting your viewing habits to anyone. When you played a video game, same thing. When you spoke to someone on the phone, there always was the risk that it could be tapped. And that was common knowledge, but it was understood that that was largely reserved for people being investigated for serious crimes not done in automated bulk like we see today. When you drove your car, it wasn't reporting your location history and other sensitive data back to the manufacturer. But times have changed, so if this describes you, you may have developed a false sense of security or failed to develop the skepticism that you need to protect yourself in today's environment. The first thing that you need to understand about email is that it was never designed to be private or secure. That's your first red flag. 
In a past life, I did some software engineering work on a medical device project. If you're not familiar with that process, it's pretty intensive with regard to FDA regulations. I had to read a lot of FDA documentation, but one of the things that stuck out to me the most was in regard to unit and integration testing. The FDA makes it very clear in their documentation that the software should be written from the ground up with proper unit and integration testing as opposed to tacking these on at the end of the life cycle. This struck a chord with me because I've worked on projects where people essentially wrote a bunch of trash code with the intention of forcing it into compliance by spamming it with automated tests. And I can tell you, along with the FDA, that's a terrible idea and a losing battle. There are many reasons for that, but one of those is that it's very difficult to force a large piece of software or a specification to address a major change that it wasn't designed for. So let me repeat, email was not designed to be private or secure. Over time, we've developed some band-aid solutions like TLS, PGP, DKIM, DMARC, SPF, 2FA, and so on, but there are still a lot of fundamental issues. Your second red flag is that some organizations that handle sensitive data don't use email to transmit said data. Doctors don't use email to send and receive your medical data, or at least they shouldn't. They use things like MyChart, don't they? Yes, they do. And there's a reason for that. Email is insecure. What about your bank? Chances are they use some kind of secure email service which isn't really email, they just call it that. I've seen them use things called Zixmail or something like that, and a service called Secure Document Exchange. Just the other day, I was collecting data on what income tax rates are in the local jurisdictions around Cincinnati. One of the encouraging things I saw was that a good number of them use one of these secure email services, and one of them even went so far as to warn people to not email their tax documents to them for security reasons. So if you're a lawyer, accountant, banker, or other person who handles sensitive data, you should join the party and use something more secure. All right, now let's get into more detailed issues. One is a lack of control as to who can send email to whom and who can receive email from whom. So when you draft an email, you can type anything you want in the to field and hit send. What happens next, you just have to wait and see. So what happens, for example, if you make a typo when you're typing an email address? This actually happened to me once. I was dealing with a financial entity once and found out that they sent at least one email of mine to the wrong email address because they left a letter out of my name. And given my luck, that was a valid email address that someone else had, so he received my email, and I don't even know what it contained. Man, that really made my blood boil. So get this. There's a story going around in the privacy and security circles about vast quantities of email that's intended to go to the U.S. military that are actually going to the wrong domain because people are typing at whatever.ml, which is the country of Mali, as opposed to .mil, which is the U.S. military. When this happens, if you're lucky, the server that receives that mail will reject it and send it back to the sender as undeliverable, 
But sometimes that doesn't happen for a couple of reasons. One, you make a typo which results in a valid email address so it does get delivered. This is what happened to me. And two, the other scenario is that whoever controls the other domain has a catch-all system in place that will retain all emails sent to it even if the address is invalid. If you have a domain, you can do this. You can set up a catch-all rule that keeps all emails sent to your domain even if that address doesn't exist. So for example, if you send an email to starboy98 at biggerinsights.com, we could catch that even though that address doesn't exist. Regarding this issue with the military, that might not sound like a big deal, but get this, there have literally been millions of emails sent to Mali rather than the U.S. military because of this one typo issue. Along these lines, there are also typo squatters out there that reserve domains and email addresses that are similar to their target to try to catch emails or web traffic that someone sends to the wrong address due to a typo. So for example, someone could register feceybook.com and create addresses like mark at feceybook.com and things like that to try to catch emails intended to be sent to the Zuck. This is a very serious issue. So one of the things that we recommend that people do is double check that email addresses are correct when entering them into a contact system or a password manager, then use those systems directly rather than manually typing out people's email addresses. I almost never type a website address or an email address manually for this reason. Oh, and one more tip on this issue. When someone gives you an email address, take it literally or ask them to confirm with you before just unilaterally deciding that it's wrong and send an email to something else. I've had this happen to me multiple times. So I literally have hundreds of email addresses I use, which are mostly aliases, but some of them have intentional typos in them or names that are similar to mine, but different. And multiple times I've run into issues where the lady at the front desk sees that and overrides what I'm telling her my email address is and try to correct it for me. That really grinds my gears. Don't do that. If someone gives you an email address, use it. If they gave you the wrong one, that's on them. But if they gave you the right one and you use a wrong one anyway, that's on you. And by the way, this is especially problematic if you're using a common domain like Gmail, Outlook, or Yahoo, because let's say, for example, that your name is Megan. You know, some people spell that with an H and some without. So if you're Megan with an H at gmail.com, I can basically guarantee you that someone else is Megan without an H at gmail.com. So if you tell someone your email is Megan at gmail.com and they don't type that H, their email is going to go to that other person. Regarding this whole military email issue, we think this is pretty ridiculous. We're actually planning on doing a whole episode on military privacy and security, but a little teaser for that is that the military shouldn't be using email almost across the board. There are so many ways to send text and files to each other why use a legacy technology with garbage security? It's a national security liability. Now, what they would probably say to that is that they have certain safeguards in place, but that only works one way. Email is a two-way concern. 
So if someone from the military asks bigger insights to email them something sensitive, whatever protections they have in place don't apply because they wouldn't prevent us, for example, from accidentally sending that email to the wrong address. Now let's briefly talk about email metadata and PGP. Emails are constructed in two basic parts, the header and the body. The body is the message and the header contains the metadata like the sender, recipient, subject, date, time, IP address, security records, and so on. With PGP and most other email encryption schemes, the issue there is that they encrypt the body of the email, but not the header or the subject. That's a huge deal. So in this case, someone who sees your encrypted email can't read the message, but they can see who is talking to whom, which by itself can be damning in some circumstances, the subject line can also be a major concern. Have you ever seen those people who write basically the whole message in the subject line? Well, keep in mind that that's usually not encrypted. Scroll through your email inbox sometime and read all of the subject lines and the senders from someone else's perspective, like an advertiser, for example. What could someone like that infer about you from this information? Probably a lot more than you'd think. The lesson here is that your emails to and from have a lot of metadata that can be seen by third parties. So at a minimum, be careful about how much sensitive information you put in the subject line. Another and perhaps the biggest issue with email is how it's implemented by your provider and the providers of your contacts. Are you or your contacts using Gmail, Outlook, or Live, or whatever Microsoft's garbage is? After all these years, I still can't figure out what Live is supposed to be. What about Yahoo? Well, I've got bad news for you because, believe it or not, these companies, their employees, and in some cases, even some of their contractors can and do read their people's emails. That might be your emails. For your experience, of course, they just want to make sure that you're enjoying your email experience. Nothing to see here. That's not a joke. This isn't April Fool's, even though I wish it was. The emails that are sitting in your inbox are not only read and analyzed by the automated systems that these companies employ, but their staff may be reading them with their own eyeballs as well. There was a story a while ago where Microsoft admitted to reading through the emails in a journalist's Hotmail account. What happened here was that a Microsoft employee leaked confidential information to the journalist, but Microsoft couldn't figure out who the leak was coming from. When they realized that the journalist was using Hotmail, they just started going through his emails to figure out who the leak was. When Microsoft admitted to this in public, people were understandably pretty shocked about this. People were surprised that Microsoft would stoop this low, but I get the impression that some people were shocked that this was even possible. And I can't remember exactly what they said, but Microsoft had this response that basically said something like, well, yeah, when you use our email service, those emails are basically our property and we can do whatever we want with them. You did read the terms of service, right? Which, you know, this just goes back to the whole, there is no cloud, only someone else's computer thing. If you're going to F around and store your emails on Microsoft's or Google servers, you're going to find out because they have full access to all of that data. All right? 
Are we all on the same page now? And this is a big deal because it's just one of those classic privacy conundrums that devolves to the lowest common denominator. You can have the most private and secure email service in the world, but that'll only do you so much good if your contacts are using Gmail, Outlook, and related services. Even if you choose not to email them, you can't stop them from revealing information about you just by them emailing you. And I hate to say it, but I've noticed that a lot of businesses are using Gmail these days. That's pretty terrifying if you think about it. Is your lawyer or accountant storing your most sensitive data in Google? Gives me chills just thinking about it. All right, let's continue and let me blow your mind with something really bizarre about email. Most legacy technologies like email, SMS, phone calls, even packets and certain internet protocols rely on trust. They rely on the sender being honest about who they say they are. Have you ever received a text message from your own number? These technologies basically allow people to just make up who their message is coming from. So I could send you an email right now and just say that it's from apple.com. Just like how when you're addressing a physical letter, you could put 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue on it as the return address to make it look like it came from the cocaine house, I mean the White House. I've actually received some pretty legitimate looking phishing emails claiming to be from facebook.com. To the average person who doesn't know how to look into the message source to verify if it actually came from facebook.com or if it was just spoofed, they would probably believe it. Now, why don't email clients warn you when you receive an email that's clearly spoofed? I have no idea, but that's just the way she goes. And we can help you with that, by the way. We do things like sit down with our clients and show them how to spot phishing attacks and verify where messages are coming from, and we can help you with that as well. Just go to biggerinsights.com and fill out the short form at the bottom of the page if you're interested in a consultation. Now let's talk about unauthorized access. I realize this is anecdotal, but I receive reports of Outlook having stability and security issues on what seems to be a weekly basis. It's pretty terrifying to see that virtually all of our government, banks, military, police, and other critical infrastructure rely on this dumpster fire, but that's also just the way she goes. But seriously though, Outlook had such a serious issue a year or two ago that the FBI actually sought to receive the authority to hack into basically everyone's exchange servers to address this security issue. It was that bad. So that's just one of those issues, unfortunately. You know, you could be Kevin Mitnick, may he rest in peace, and still suffer from this because it's completely out of your control and in the hands of a company that's much more concerned about video games and turning Windows into adware. Yahoo is another great example. They reported two separate data breaches in 2016 that occurred back in 2014. So not only were hundreds of millions of Yahoo users affected by this, but they weren't even notified for one to two years. Then in 2017, Yahoo disclosed that all 3 billion user accounts were affected by a data breach that went all the way back to 2013. Also, by the way, one of those security incidents compromised security questions 
So be careful how you answer those because they do get caught up in data breaches and passed around the internet sometimes. On the flip side of this is your security. Email hacks aren't as common as they used to be, but they still happen. I'm guessing that most of the one or two of you who actually listen to this podcast have pretty decent security practices, which if you don't, go ahead and contact us. But again, this boils down to the lowest common denominator. What about everyone else? What about grandma? What about your spouse or children? What about your employer? Are they emailing your IDs, social security number, and other sensitive data around? Probably. Does your accountant have good security measures in place? What if their account gets hacked and they've been emailing your returns and other documents? What does that mean for you? You're screwed. That's what that means. So just keep that in mind. You need to not only avoid emailing sensitive conversations and documents, but do everything you can to prevent bankers, accountants, lawyers, employers, and others from emailing your sensitive data around as well. All right, now let's talk about encryption. Most emails are encrypted during transit, but sometimes that isn't the case. If you use Gmail, you've probably seen that little red padlock trying to warn you that someone that you're emailing doesn't support encryption. This is especially problematic in large groups. There's always that one person with their email address that they received from their ISP 20 years ago that doesn't support encryption. And when that happens, that compromises the security for everyone in that thread. As a society, we really ought to start talking to people like this and encourage them to fix these kinds of problems. You know, why should everyone else suffer because you refuse to use an email service with basic encryption? That's not right. I would even go so far as to exclude them from any communication. There are people that I know that refuse to use anything but SMS. Well, guess what? I don't text them. Anyway, so transport encryption is a problem that admittedly has been shrinking over time. But that's only one third of the issue. What about at the ends, meaning the sender and the recipient? When you send an email, a copy of that email is stored in your account. When the recipient receives it, they have a copy in their account. Are those encrypted? Like I was saying earlier, most of the mainstream email providers either don't encrypt your emails in your account or they encrypt them with their keys, which means they can read your messages anytime they wish. There are some outliers like ProtonMail and Tutanota, which encrypt the emails in your account using your keys so that they can't read them. But again, what about everyone else? We use Proton, but when we email a Gmail user, that whole email thread is compromised because Google can read it. Now, I realize how this comes across. When we tell people that these companies can and do read people's emails, they look at us like we're wearing a tinfoil hat. But this is nothing new. You can read about this on Wikipedia or basically any legal blog. Companies use email contents for building profiles for targeted advertising. Emails are often used in litigation and divorce proceedings. That may not be news to anyone listening to this, but let me share something with you that might just blow your mind. In 2012, the ACLU sent a Freedom of Information Act request to the IRS seeking records about whether it gets a warrant before obtaining people's emails, text messages, and other communications. 
what they received from the IRS was pretty disturbing. I'm going to read a few passages from an ACLU article about this. Quote, the federal law that governs law enforcement access to emails, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, is hopelessly outdated. It draws a distinction between email that is stored on an email provider's servers for 180 days or less and an email that is older or has been opened. The former requires a warrant, the latter does not. Luckily, the Fourth Amendment still protects against unreasonable searches by the government. Accordingly, in 2010, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals decided in United States v. Warshak that the government must obtain a probable cause warrant before compelling email providers to turn over messages. However, the IRS hasn't told the public whether it is following Warshak everywhere in the country or only within the Sixth Circuit. The documents the ACLU obtained make clear that before Warshak, it was the policy of the IRS to read people's email without getting a warrant. Not only that, but the IRS believed that the Fourth Amendment did not apply to email at all. A 2009 search warrant handbook from the IRS Criminal Tax Division's Office of Chief Counsel boldly asserts that the Fourth Amendment does not protect communications held in electronic storage, such as in email messages stored on a server, because internet users do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy in such communications. Again, in 2010, a presentation by the IRS Office of Chief Counsel asserts that the Fourth Amendment does not protect emails stored on server, and there is no privacy expectation in those emails. Other older documents corroborate that the IRS did not get warrants across the board. For example, the 2009 edition of the Internal Revenue Manual, the official compilation of IRS policies and procedures, explains that the government may obtain the contents of electronic communication that has been in storage for more than 180 days without a warrant, end quote. That's pretty disturbing. So basically, the IRS is of the opinion that it's their right to read your emails without a warrant if they're at least 180 days old. And of course, if the IRS can do this, one can conservatively expect that any other law enforcement agency could as well. All right, so hopefully by now we've convinced you that in general, your emails are neither private nor secure. But some of you might be thinking, well, I'm safe because I use an encrypted email provider like ProtonMail or Tutanota. And that's great. And those are a step in the right direction. But we have some thoughts on that. No matter what provider you choose, there will always be some element of trust. For example, these companies encrypt your messages when they receive them from other providers. Obviously, the risk there is that they could either not do that or read or copy that message before they apply that encryption. We don't think they are doing that, but again, you have to trust them on that. And don't take that as me trying to give you some subtle hints or spread some kind of FUD. You need email, but there is always some degree of trust because of the inherent limitations of email. So choose the provider that you trust the most. 
All right, this is turning out to be longer than I was expecting, so I'm gonna have to start wrapping this up. I was gonna go over some tips for making email more secure, but that's gonna have to be a separate episode. That just goes to show you how insecure email is. We could keep going, but hopefully you understand now where we're coming from. If you'd like more help with email privacy and security, consider becoming a Bigger Insights client. We help clients like you live more private and secure lives in one-on-one consulting sessions. If that sounds interesting to you, go to our website, biggerinsights.com, and fill out the short form at the bottom of the page so we can schedule your initial consultation. We are once again asking you to subscribe and share this podcast so we can help as many people as possible. This episode in particular is a message that many, many people need to hear, so go ahead and share it with them. It'll cost you nothing. If you found this episode helpful, please consider making a contribution. Running a business and a podcast is more expensive and time-consuming than you might realize, so if you like this content and can spare some coin, please consider helping us out so we can keep this going. We accept Monero, obviously, but also surveillance coins like Bitcoin and Litecoin. I'll put the wallet information in the description. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks for staying until the end. Be careful about how you use email and stay safe out there.